Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. This is Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, and I'm here with Locke Kelly. Some of you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a fantastic conversation together, Locke and I, and we had so much fun, and I thought it was so valuable that we agreed to do a part two. So if you're listening to this episode and you haven't heard part one, I strongly recommend that you pause this recording and then go back and listen to, I believe it's episode 26, where Locke and I have our initial conversation. So go ahead and actually stop the recording and go back and listen to part one at episode 26 and then come right on back. Okay, for those of you who did that, welcome back. And uh, Locke, welcome to conversation number two on freeing the body, freeing the soul. Thank you, David. It's great to be here with you. So I had the pleasure and privilege of, uh, since interview one, I had the privilege of actually finishing reading Locke's fantastic book called Shift into Freedom, The Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness. I was about halfway through it during our first interview, and I don't know if you've seen it, Locke, but I put up a uh, five-star review on Amazon for you. Oh, yes, I did. Thank you so much. Very insightful. So in today's conversation, there were um, really two main areas that I wanted to get into. One was in part one, Locke was kind enough to take us through a very short, like 90-second to two-minute um, guided uh, inquiry to help us to have a direct awareness of the space he calls awake awareness. And I thought that little one was so powerful that sometime today I uh, asked Locke if he would guide us into a little deeper one, and he said that he would. But for most of the conversation today, I want to talk about something that historically I've called the ecology of transformation but using Locke's vocabulary, I could transpose it and call it the ecology of awake awareness. And what I mean by that are two separate things. One thing I mean is that as individuals in society, what can we do in terms of our structures and our values and our processes? What can we do and what can we stop doing? that will increase the likelihood that an individual can be aware of that infinitely spacious space of awake awareness uh, sooner in their life rather than later or not at all. And then the second part of the ecology of awake awareness would be once someone has glimpsed awake awareness, we know that in society as it is, it is truly, probably Joseph Campbell would call it the hero's journey to be a good steward of that space of being and come down off the mountain, so to speak, and live among the people again and stay connected to that infinite source of love and of life and of power and of intelligence and so part two of that ecology question is 
what are the implications of awake awareness for human beings living in the world in terms of relationships, economics, education, finance, all the areas of human life, and what can we do proactively to foster those kinds of structures and those kinds of conversations and conditions that will really allow the possibilities inherent in awake awareness to flourish uh, in human beings and in human life. So that's the conversation I'd like to have today. How does that sound to you, Locke? It sounds uh, like we're diving right into the middle of it, which is what I love. Okay, why don't we begin wherever you'd like to begin? Okay, so yeah, maybe just to define a few terms for people so that at least in our languaging of this, we can be on the same page. So this word that we're describing as awakening um, is something that isn't... uh, an esoteric thing that requires us to go off into a cave or a monastery that my book is really about uh, defining awakening as the next natural stage of human development. So it's really not a state experience or even related necessarily to meditation. It's actually a shift in our consciousness that meditation can help with as one of the tools, but it's really a realignment or a growth uh, out of a certain pattern of consciousness that dominates us so much now that we don't even see it. It's so um, much part of our mental apparatus and the way we organize our identity and our way of knowing that we think there's no alternative. It's like we're living in a small uh, storm cloud and we just don't know there that the sky is is available. And once we uh, step out of this cloud, rather than trying to clean it up and fix it, we step out and we realize that we're the sky. Then as the sky, we have tremendous freedom, breadth and interconnection with all other dimensions of the universe and everything and everyone around us. And then we can step back in and include the contents of our body and mind and heart. (laughs) So this kind of awakening is a very practical and definable and learnable um, practice that can be done in the midst of our day And in the midst of whatever life we have with just a simple interest and willingness and set of uh, practices that change uh, the habit of identity and mind. So that would be what awakening is. And I'll say more, you know, in terms of nuts and bolts about it a little bit later on. And then awake awareness is both the perceptual the dimension of our already awake consciousness that we don't recognize. So rather than thinking awakening is somehow about, you know, some big fireworks or, you know, a huge experience of, of 
almost like a drug trip or something, that really awakening is about simply shifting out of the suffering of this neurotic, fear-based, worrying, shame-centered feeling of being not good enough or, or worthless or worrying so much about the future and <clears throat> focusing on the past and literally shifting into a type of awareness that's already here within each of us and immediately feeling that we're here and now and from this view of awake awareness we feel a kind of open-hearted awareness which has a quality of love and interconnection so that rather than trying to attitudinally change or replace positive thoughts with negative thoughts the way of awakening is literally just shifting out of the current constellation of consciousness and shifting into a natural dimension of our awareness and people that <clears throat> I meet uh, can come off the street and have uh, a direct glimpse of this um, within you know five to twenty five minutes and they report the same things every time regardless of what I say beforehand so if I say nothing they come up with the same <clears throat> description of awake awareness or open-hearted awareness when they shift out of the uh, self-centered identity into awake awareness and awareness-based uh, body embodied awareness um, they say they feel a sense of of joy of peace of mind sense of relief a sense of freedom and connection with others uh, lightness of being um, a lack of worry and fear and um, so these qualities which we're all looking for outside and through other experiences are qualities that naturally arise within minutes of learning how to shift how to awaken in the midst of our life so in terms of this uh, ability to access this state historically in psycho-spiritual literature the view and the experience of most teachers has been that the limited identity of the student taking themselves to be the seeker or the thinker that there's such an attachment such a survival attachment at an ego level to that identity that you know to to let go of that from the ego point of view is to die that it for it's the experience of many students and teachers that it can take years and years of spiritual and psychodynamic work to yeah. get to the point where um, that begins to dissolve. What is it about, or at least in your opinion, what is it about your approach that either has that happen more quickly or it bypasses it? Or I, I'm not quite even clear how to language it. Yeah, so it is, it is a, um, 
and what I'm doing is based in many of the world's um, traditions of what's called direct path uh, realization. So uh, I've studied with many of the, um, you know, wonderfully fortunate to meet and study with uh, masters, teachers from uh, Sri Lanka, India, Nepal, and other Westerners who have, um, you know, from the Dzogchen tradition, from in Tibetan Buddhism, the Mahamudra tradition, uh, Taoist traditions, um, and had many discussions with people from Kabbalist and Christian um, tradition, talking to Father Thomas Keating in depth about these kind of things, uh, and checking it out with many people. Um, it's that there is this ability to shift immediately if you can discover what shifts there, which is this awareness, which is inherent within us. So um, the grad more gradual path or the deconstruction path um, takes longer because you have to wait for it either to dissolve or fall apart or you go through kind of more of uh, the dark night intentionally, or you sit in longer periods of meditation, and the first goal is to let the initial identity fall apart or die or let go. <clears throat> Whereas what we're doing here is we're going to actually realize that it's not really who you are anyhow. It's a pattern of thought plus emotion, ego function, and uh, a sense of um, <clears throat> almost the body's boundary program. So it feels like it's a little, you're, it's an entity, it feels real. But by literally stepping out, and then, most importantly, stepping in to the new operating system immediately. So rather than spending the time in the dying or the the gap of not knowing, the gap of being nobody, the gap of going beyond the ego or um, the uh, sense of the void in between, we, we go immediately to the awake consciousness and begin to feel, even if it's for a moment or two, that dimension which is already awake and alert and loving and free, and then the process becomes uh, returning there through small glimpses many times rather than long meditations, but it's not an instant enlightenment, it's an awakening process, direct recognition, and then the gradual unfolding is from the uh, open-hearted awareness beginning to speak and walk and talk and type and relate and create which starts to rewire uh, your your brain and your personality to um, match uh, to uh, begin to function from there, and that takes a while uh, to be able to fully live an awaken you know life that's in the awakening process. But the immediate um, glimpse and the ability to intentionally reglimpse is is even for a few moments uh 
it's almost like uh, restarting your computer. You know, all the chatter, the chattering mind and the anxious emotions will have to reboot. So they lose their hold on you and you get to start with a f fresh, um, fresh sense of peace of mind and open heart. So I have a couple of questions. One is, and I'm sure you've thought a lot about this because you wanted to make sure that what you were offering was valid and, yes. and useful. Um, what are your thoughts about um, why this, why now? Why, why hasn't this easy access route been popularized before now in, 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 in modern recorded history? Yeah, I mean, I think it has in, it usually ends up <clears throat> when the details of it have been clarified, it's usually very much within a languaging system that is within a religious or spiritual system. And so it seems very esoteric because all the languaging of it, uh, is so precise based on their definitions uh, in order to help help uh, recognize and realize um, and stabilize this that it becomes uh, it becomes you know kind of esoteric or that some of those who have found it have kept it within their uh, small group or made it an advanced course where you have to proceed and then find it uh, eventually. Uh, my teacher, one of my teachers from the Dzogchen tradition, Toko Ergen Rinpoche, uh, uh, who, if you go to my uh, Facebook, <clears throat> at, you can see a little clip of, of him talking about going beyond thought. Uh, he um, did three three-year retreats and then was given this introduction to this. However, his uncle had given him the same instructions when he was eight years old. And when he was eight years old, he realized this by having this pointed out. And after three three-year retreats, he told us, well, this is the same thing I recognized when I was eight. There's nothing new here. The only thing is he had grown up in other things, but there was nothing he gained in the preparation practices that gave him any more of the direct recognition. Um, so some of it's about the direct recognition and some of it's about, <clears throat> I think the thing is that's been lacking is some of the, okay, now that you're recognizing, here's right away here, you know, rather than do this, do this, rather than do this, don't do anything, <laughs> rest as this, but now, recognize it. So there's a certain way of immediately supporting and training to remain and then training to immediately uh, function from here rather than recognizing and then hanging out outside of society, which I think many people have done. Many people are called yogis or um, <clears throat> you know, sadhus are, have recognized the first levels of awake awareness as pure awareness, but then they don't come back <laughs> to realize that pure awareness is also form. So they realize that form is emptiness, but they don't realize, oh, emptiness is form. And when you realize emptiness is form, 
Now you can begin to um, speak from here, live from here. Um, and, and I think, so I think, think some of that um, has been done, you know, and now maybe we have a little more way of, of making it available to those who are not in, in those very highly uh, trained clubs um, of monasteries. Can I take you back to discuss a little more deeply the first part of what you were talking about? Sure. So this process of uh, waking up, this original access. So the, the, the transformational or awakening lineage that um, I'm, a, I'm an extension of, I'm a product of, um, takes people from where they currently are, which is usually pretty much in their head. Yep. And then rehabilitates their ability to have direct experiences and then once that is rehabilitated to a critical level, then there begins a deeper inquiry into the operating system that's giving rise to experience. Right. And in my experience, that takes time. That takes yeah. time for people to who've lived in their head and, and have lost the distinction between direct experience and the representation of experience, it takes some time to get the hang again of allowing your experience to be what it is. And then we move on to the deeper inquiry of the structure that's giving rise to this um, moment to moment experience. And that's how we get into the map room and that's how we get beyond the map room. and one of the things that fascinates me about your way yeah and i'm having to like um <laughs> suspend disbelief here <laughs> okay is given that people are in their head in our yeah. society <clears throat> how how does your approach work do you do you not need to rehabilitate that distinction between representation of experience and direct experience, or do you do it rapidly? Or I'm trying to get more of yeah. a sense. I'm trying to get more of a sense of, of it's like, there's something I know I don't know, but I don't know how to ask it completely. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I'll, yeah. So let's, let's do a little, I'll do less of a longer talk and we can kind of go back and forth a little bit. So I'll just say that, simply that the key is the, 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 the particularness of the shift into what is clearly a new um, from thought-based knowing to awareness-based knowing. So when you're in awareness-based knowing, when you're in awake awareness, when awake awareness is seeing, when you're seeing from awake awareness, when you are located in awake awareness, it immediately sees things directly and can see thoughts coming and going and can begin to see the patterns and the fears of operating system one, which is saying like, what are you doing? I don't know what's going on here. You better come back here and, and put things together like, you know, a puzzle. And, and from there, if you can remain there for literally one second, two seconds, three seconds, when you do, as you do, 
the intelligence, the wisdom of that view, from that view, shows you everything you need to know, which basically is that you don't have to analyze the first system. All you need to see is that, oh, that's one way to operate. That, that, that'll, get me, that'll get me what I know it'll get me. Here's the other way. And this way is you is able to use thinking just like you can use your hand to move when needed. You can use your hand when needed. You can use thinking, but you don't have to look to thought to orient. So you immediately have this other subtler dimension of intelligence, which is already wisdom-based and just sees things as they are and doesn't need to analyze the old system because the old system has collapsed. Although it you know, kind of either comes back fully or it starts to kind of try to scare you back by saying, what's going on? And then as soon as you can, you know, what I talk with, about in the last chapter is working with those parts of yourself that are trying to come back and sit in the seat of the self because there's, they're habitual. So it's only the habitualness, not the particularness, that's of any interest to your new ground of being. Right. So I get that. So, so what would be your response to someone who would say, hey, how do you take somebody who's living in their head and doesn't even live the distinction between living in their head and having a direct experience? How do you take somebody like that without uh, working with them to really recover that distinction? How do you work with them so that they have a direct experience of awake awareness so quickly? Yeah, I mean, it's the way to work with them is it's, you know, first is because the premise is pretty clear among most traditions that, you know, the that awake awareness is already here, that your Buddha nature is already here, your true nature is already here. It doesn't need to be created or developed. Right. Therefore, so that's 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 like premise one. Then then premise two is okay, so then what are the traditions that say how to recognize it? And many of them are called the resting method, like shikantaza or just sitting or you know, the Zen saying is uh, muddy water, let stand, becomes clear. So that's most systems is this longer period of trying to rest the chattering mind. <clears throat> the other tradition, <clears throat> which I'm coming from, is a little more of the inquiry tradition or what I call the looking method rather than the resting method or the deconstruction method. And this inquiry method says, you know, turn your awareness back to itself. Have the mind look to the mind. Uh, the, the secret of the golden flower says, turn the light of awareness around. This is, this, is the, this is the liberating truth. So that move, whatever, that's described in 10 different ways, but fairly simple. Let awareness know awareness. Let the mind know the ultimate nature of mind. So when I realized that thought can't know awareness, the ego can't get there, uh, none of the senses can feel awareness, though when you're in awareness, you can feel the senses. No effort can get there. 
no efforter can get there. Then I had to discover, okay, what's this awareness that can know awareness? Where's the first awareness that can know the awareness that's already here? If I don't know the awareness, if I'm in ignorance, how do I discover the awareness that has the ability to discover awareness? And that's why I, when I've, found that through through pointers that worked for me i started to kind of re-engineer them so i was given a couple pointers through uh you know people you know both in live people and reading a couple in books you know even ramana maharshi's who am i you know look for the eye um so what i discovered was this this awareness that's already here that can unhook from thinking and can feel into awareness that's here either subtly within the body or actually outside of the body can be a little easier at first and can discover pure awareness, which is contentless, formless, thought-free, but alert and awake. This kind of feeling of um, the source of mind prior to thought and also kind of wiser than thought. So that, that move, and I spend a little time going through that fairly early in the book, you know, talking about what's local awareness, here's how you do it. I have, I give a bunch of exercises, um, try this, try that, try this, try that. to get different learning types, to get a feel of how you can actually, what it is, is you, you have to look through uh, that point of view that literally is a point of view that you don't even realize feels like it's behind your eyes looking out. And you have to kind of uh, just have your awareness um, look for the meditator to realize there's no meditator there. There's no meditator point of view there's just seeing without a seer. So the awareness will go back through, through you, through what you think is you, and discover an awareness behind you that is aware already and then now is within you, looking uh, and feeling from you. But what's happened is the little mini-me, the little point of view, as soon as it dissolves uh, or isn't a pattern of I am, isn't co-opting the I am, uh, that thinker is now relaxed and returned to just thinking. Um, So it's that, you know, that's kind of the process that's fairly, you know, classical. I looked at all the direct path kind of ways, particularly the inquiry ways, and this is the basic ABCs of all of them. And then I just kind of re-engineered and looked at different ways to uh, show people how to do that and make it very simple just using the, um, the senses and awareness as the starter uh, so that it's not, there's no religion, there's no even what you'd call spirituality and everything, you could use your own language to describe it uh, but, you know, and, and I just did a, you know, seminar with people, both who were new, long time meditators and 
people have done other variety of, you know, tried to do mindfulness. And, you know, everyone got a glimpse and then some glimpses worked better for others and others, you know, another set worked. So it's not, but it's this principle of awareness looking through the thinker. I think that's really the key because I'm contrasting your method with, say, um, I think you and I are both familiar with with the diamond approach, mm-hmm. with Almas' yes. work, yes, which is a beautiful work, but it's a gradual path, yeah. And the inquiry begins where people, what people are usually aware of, that's right. It rather than shifting their awareness. And That's right. um, it's the path is a little too gradual for my taste, but it has a lot of merit and yet, but it takes a lot of time. Yes. Because of the fact that it's starting with where people are. And so there's a lot of years of uh, unwinding psychodynamic issues yeah. to get to the point where this radical awakening can happen. But when it does happen, it's it's on a very mature base, whereas this type of path, um, a lot of the maturation happens after the your in your path, a lot of the maturation happens after the initial radical awakening. Yes, and 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 some of it is the other radical premise I have is that anybody listening to this program is most likely mature enough psychologically, ethically, and uh, emotionally to be able to be at a level that is equivalent to be able to look and recognize your true nature. And then you're still going to have to continue to wake up and grow up. But most Westerners, you know, most of the training of most of these paths is, you know, the first third is ethical training and, um, you know, most of the <clears throat> Tibetan Buddhist is um, school training. You know, the young monks, they're doing schoolwork. So most everyone's gone through high school, college. If you've done that, if you basically live in an ethical society, you don't even realize you've had ethical training, but you, you have. And then you've emotionally developed enough even, you know, to go to work, to have concentration abilities, to work, to have ability to organize, to relate to your coworkers, your neighbors, all of that is emotional development. If you have an intimate emotional relationship, even if it's not currently now, that you've had them, that you've, you know, been in relationships, um, that is plenty, is what I'm saying. I'm saying, you got to give yourself some credit. Now, let's go. Let's, uh, Let's directly recognize that you're going to have to grow up anyhow you're going to continue to grow up in all these lines and levels of development so let's start the waking up uh the direct recognition and gradual unfolding while you continue makes sense to me so why don't we why don't you guide us through uh, a, a a glimpse and then we'll I think that will give people uh, a deeper understanding of what we're talking about, and then we can get into the discussions about the ecology of of awake awareness. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's um, if you if you if you you know go. My book is kind of a textbook or a reference book for this process, and 
you know, much like our conversation, uh, David, I'm trying to, I tried to write it to put it into modern culture and answer a lot of questions about where does this fit with ancient meditation traditions, but mainly also where does it fit in terms of growing up, where does it fit in terms of developmental psychology, neuroscience, um, so that it becomes more the new normal. Because I think awakening is not an esoteric thing. It can be learned and taught, and people can, with intention, if they have any intention and the interest, just like they, if you've done four years of college, this will take, you know, less time of your next four years if you learn the, you know, language or play an instrument. It's, you know, maybe as much or less than that in terms of time and commitment and habit change. Um, so that's, that's really, um, really the, the, the premise is that learning, learning these tools of your own consciousness are available. When they're available, it's a matter of whether it's of interest and the audios, uh, the audio is audio of just the practices in the book. And that leads through, there's like 31 different practices or tracks. Um, so here, you know, we can only do one or two. So it may, may or may not, uh, you know, be the effective door for you. But you just, you know, you'll start to get a little sense of the possibility. Uh, and then please, you know, go explore a little bit more if it's not um, the right door for you. One thing that really helped me and I don't know if this is because I have a lot of sensitivity to my body energies or because mm -hmm. I'm a Taurus or whatever, but I find that a lot of my ego traps that I still have are not so much associated with specific limited identities because I've done a lot of work in that area, but have to do with this residual body image. Right that's associated with this co-opting of the ego, but of these normal survival patterns. And so I think um, uh, the methods that you use that begin to make that body image um, up on the mat are particularly good ones for someone like myself. Yes. So the, the, the key for that one is actually, I, you know, when I have you learned unhook awareness from thought, you can either drop into the body or go to, through the eyes or the ears or one of the other senses. But the key is once is to get out of the mind and out of the body completely until you find the ground of awake awareness. And then from that thought-free, image-free foundation, come back and actually experience your body directly from within rather than from your head or from an image or from a thought to feel literally feel what is here moment to moment and that's what people report is remarkable okay so whatever journey yeah. you want to take us on go ahead all right so i'll do a little you know i'll do kind of a a medium a medium one um and then we can do a couple little shorter ones later for different doors. But <clears throat> so this door, let's use the door of hearing. So, so the first, um, the first 
uh, skill of unhooking awareness from thought. You can't think about how to do it because <clears throat> uh, because it requires awareness as the center of intelligence to move from thinking where it's identified or attached to one of the other senses and then eventually to space and then to discover spacious awareness and then spacious awareness becomes the ground with, from which we include our body. And that's gonna be our little process. So in Buddhism, thinking is considered the sixth sense. So it's just one of the, we have five senses, so we just consider it the sixth sense. Uh, and awareness is currently, or in most people identified with thinking as a way of orienting so that then once we identified with with thinking then thinking thinks looks to thinking and then thinking is about thinking and then we're thinking about thinking about thinking and then we're thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking and then we're thinking about that and then we're orienting who i am to who this person is to what i'm doing and then we'll keep locating ourselves in this little creation of a mini me behind our head behind our heads so that thought pattern is not the only location of who we are. In fact, most people who, you know, do relaxing things or, or operate in a flow state are out of that. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to go into a, out of that into our senses, then into spacious awareness and then include our body. So we're going to come right back. We're not, uh, you know, dissociating, we're, we're just uh, detaching with love and then discovering um, a new foundation, which is already here. So simply um, notice what it's like if you just think about what I'm saying. And if you're listening, <clears throat> you know, to this, you can, you know, kind of either look straight ahead um, or, um, you know, close your eyes. But most of these are done with your eyes open, but whatever's easier for you at first. So feel what it's like with your eyes open if you feel like awareness can move or unhook from thinking and have it to go just to seeing. So don't think about seeing, but literally feel that your awareness is stepping back and dropping. So it feels like you're not focused on what you're seeing or what you're thinking about seeing, but it almost feels like you're just located. Awareness is aware of just seeing. And that's a kind of simple feeling of what it's like to unhook awareness from thought, have it come to seeing. Now, fairly quickly, just as it unhooks from thinking it comes to seeing, feel the dramatic difference as awareness unhooks from seeing and then moves to one of your ears to focus on just hearing. So feel that movement and the location and the experience that becomes predominant. First was thinking, unhooked to seeing, and now when awareness moves to join with the sense of hearing, so neither hearer nor heard, just hearing, 
So it's immediately a sense of space or sound <clears throat> as predominant. You may hear more sounds than you thought were around, or you may hear more silence. So just as awareness is able to unhook and focus in this small area of one of your ears, could be both of your ears, but at this area where there's vibration and sensation that <clears throat> your eardrum, just hearing, just as awareness can get small, see what it's like if now awareness opens to the side to become interested in the space outside of your body in which sound is coming and going. So have awareness open up as if awareness can get bigger and become merged with or become spacious and maybe at first notice the sound, but then become interested in the objectless, contentless, thought-free space. So awareness and space. So there's no, when there's no thought or object to focus on, your sense of a mini-me will relax. So just being aware of space. And just as that awareness can, be, can merge and become aware of spacious awareness, notice where the awareness can open and discover an awareness that's already aware from this field of space. Or maybe the awareness opens to the walls and turns around so now you're aware from space and awareness is aware of itself as spacious awareness. So it's just a sense of freedom, timeless, boundless, clarity, alertness, without subject, without any information as the subject or the object. So feel this spacious awareness that is now aware <clears throat> of your thoughts, feelings, and sensations from within your body. So just notice the difference. Am I aware of spacious awareness or what does it feel like when I'm the spacious awareness that's now aware of thoughts, feelings, and sensations within? So feel that spacious and pervasive awareness that now includes everything in your body, all the sensations. Awareness remains open and inclusive of all the feelings below your neck particularly. So you feel embodied, alert, and yet you're not going up to thought in your head to know, nor are you looking down from thought. Just feel as if you're able to feel as if your ground is this boundless, spacious, embodied awareness that's everywhere from your head to your toes, but particularly connecting through the open space of your heart, of your body. Feel the aliveness, the effervescence, and a sense of a new knowing 
So the knowing is dropped from your head to your heart mind. So feel like this new sense of knowing is possible <clears throat> as if you can almost see from your heart's eye view and you don't need to analyze, but you have a potential to know anything. And you know what's true, what's here, what's now. Just see what it's like. What is? What are the qualities that are here? What's absent that was here before? What's the sense of freedom or connection that you notice from this view of spacious, open-hearted awareness? Awareness behind you, within you, in front of you, all around you, and embodied with a new sense of awareness-based knowing rather than going up to thought or going down to sleep. Just alert, clear, seamless, equally balanced inside and out. Thank you. Yes. Welcome. <clears throat> okay, so let's segue yes. into what I call the ecology of awake awareness. Mm -hmm. Going back, just reviewing, that for me involves two separate questions. Okay. Number one is, what can we do as individuals and as a society to foster the um, presence or the awakeness, the awareness of awake awareness in human beings. And number two, once that original waking up has occurred, what can we do to foster that maturation process and, uh, and that uh, authentic self-expression of individuals into relationships and groups and organizations and communities and systems and structures that will honor that unfoldment and even um, buoy it up a little bit. I mean, there's yeah. so many people that I work with where just coping with um, daily realities of financial concerns and family matters and work stresses um, consume so much bandwidth and uh, correlated with that is a is a defensive physiology and psychology that makes healing very difficult and so it's kind of like a catch-22 and I am not alone in being um, uh, in 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 looking seriously at these issues. And I'm interested in having a conversation with you about your thoughts in these areas. Yes. So first I would say that certainly the goal of all of this awakening is toward what you're talking about. It's toward not just individual uh, 
freedom, but it's the freedom of all human beings. It's the love and community and the planet's <clears throat> well-being and our society's well-being and the reduction of war and the increase of um, the communication and well-being of all of all people. So the the root the root of it, the root of suffering, you know, in, in Buddhism is called, you know, is called greed, hatred, and delusion. <laughs> so that's the individual uh, root of suffering. The root is the, is this false sense of self that once this is relieved or we've shifted out of it, greed, hatred, and delusion go with it. If we don't shift out of it, Greed, hatred, and delusion are the foundation of all actions. Um, and, you know, trying to stay within that system one and just, you know, trying harder and um, can only take you so far. So the real, the real foundation of transformation is, is learning how to awaken um, in order to um, go beyond this um, this this catch twenty two of being in the individual suffering and which creates the collective suffering. Right. So so this you know so I think it's it's almost it's it's being clear from the beginning as you are to say. Look, this is not about, let's immediately, as soon as we shift, move it into society, move it into relationship, move it into groups, organization, processes, but don't forget what the root is, um, so that the goal is always everyone, all human beings. It seems the only way to do that is by changing the entire way of perceiving knowing and identity which can only be done uh, through awakening that you can only grow up to a certain degree um, until you have to wake up uh, because the best ego you know structures can't allow you know just don't allow um, for um, you know, for growth beyond a certain level of, um, of, of, you know, to, to be able to see clearly enough to transform society. Absolutely. Like I'm finding myself, you know, I don't, the way I live my life is I follow where my energy is naturally moving. I'm not living from like, well, I should do this. Yes. And so I'm noticing that one of the places my energy has been moving lately has been to really turn people on to Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. who is currently, sure. at the time of this recording, he's running for president of the United States, sure. right? he's trying to get the Democratic nomination. And yeah. <clears throat> I like a lot of things about him, but one of the things I like about him is that he's willing to tell the truth about the structural limitations of our society that reflect this 
egoic state of consciousness. Right. Whereas, That's right. whereas the other candidates are not. They're they're accepting these structural realities as a given and are trying to work within it. And and I see it as 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 uh, as spitting in the wind. And um, so I see that there's going to have to be some radical transformation in political finance and financial structures that will allow this natural uh, expression of this increased degree of freedom. But at the same time, I think it's this awakening that is driving the process that will honor the process. Yes. And so it's really, really interesting, this idea of uh, right action and being committed to social justice from the space of awake awareness. Right. I don't think that experiment has been done yet on a vast scale. And I think we're going to be the guinea pigs of that experiment. Right. I agree. And I'm interested if you have any thoughts, either how it's showing up in your own life or if there are other people and other thinkers that are addressing this question in a powerful way. I'm, I'm just interested in opening up the conversation to see if you'd like to take this part of the conversation in any particular direction. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's true. It's true for me um, that you know, upon my <clears throat> initial um, shift of awakening, I came back from Sri Lanka and India and began and decided to go, you know, start soup kitchens and shelters at that time in New York City. So uh, the meditation led to service. And, um, you know, I my wife and I, when 9-11 happened, we went the next morning down and worked with people at Ground Zero for the next two weeks. So there's just a natural responsiveness. And then, um, you know, being involved with a number of organizations now that are working with youth and um, just taking actions that seem to spring from the compassionate view. Now, do you have children of your own? Uh, we do not, no. Okay. So we, you know, we have nieces and nephews, so, but I work with a lot of uh, teenagers and, and both in larger groups and teaching meditation and talking about other other subjects like that but it always goes into a bigger once we meditate everything opens up and people you know the kids will talk about anything oh yeah no i was just thinking about the fact that the freedom you and your wife had to do that after 9-11 yes you might not have been able to do that if you had your own small children or something could be yeah yeah yeah. So, but I mean, it, it, it seems that that's the natural impulse and that um, certainly there's a, you know, there's a good group of 
<clears throat> interspiritual movement of activists, you know, around the world that are starting to get together. And, um, you know, we, we meet and, and talk and share, share ideas and, and help each other out with our, you know, projects in the city and everywhere else around. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's really trying to simplify and clarify how to shift into that open-hearted awareness and maintain it so that it eventually maintains itself. So it becomes a stage rather than a state experience. And I think that is what is the foundation of what can change people. One of the things I'm focusing on is really raising awareness about the, uh, the dangers of genetically modified food mm -hmm. on individuals and on the ecosystem and on the dangers of having so many vaccinations with so many heavy metals. Yes. And uh, the chemtrails and things like that. And also raising awareness about the banking system and about having a more just, stable financial system that honors justice and honors life. I think for many people, especially here in California, in the Bay Area, where the cost of living is so high, the financial realities tend to dominate people's life experience to an enormous extent. I don't know, do you live in, uh, in rural New York or do you live in the city? Yeah, I live right in, in New York City in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and then I have my okay. office in the village. Okay. So, you, so you live in a very expensive area as well. Yeah, it's very, you know, very small, you know, it's less expensive when you live in small spaces, but, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an area that it has a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of diversity as well. Right. Right. I'm just saying that uh, dealing with financial realities for so oh, yeah. many people uh, is one of the ways that the uh, that the stress mode dynamic is perpetuated. And uh, one of the things I'm interested in is how the United States can move toward having a more compassionate social net, but at the same time, maintain its edge in creativity and innovation. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that of course, that's the big, uh, and that's what Bernie Sanders is talking about. Uh, well, you know, that's why I think things have gotten so out of whack that I think having somebody like Bernie for maybe one term to kind of stop the bleeding and create a little more of a compassionate social net might then create the space for somebody else who's maybe a little bit younger and has some ideas for creative entrepreneurship. But it seems like in the United States, things have gotten so out of whack that something needs to be done. Yes. I mean, if nothing else, even if he doesn't become president, I think that having him up as one of the main um, people articulating for young people to see that, okay, this is one of the possibilities um, yeah, it changes the conversation. Yes. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about what we can do as teachers and guides to assist people once they have had a waking up 
this goes back to my comment at the beginning of the interview that, you know, out of a hundred people that wake up, you know, there's not going to be a hundred people that, 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 that are committed to the process that leads to full embodiment. And what can we do as teachers and guides besides being living examples ourselves? What can we do to increase the likelihood that someone will stay with it and 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 get some momentum going in their favor to the point where it starts to be really self-reinforcing and there's this sort of runaway realization yeah i mean i think there's um there's been you know those who have had you know unintentional awakenings and so very few of them have stabilized but those who um <clears throat> those who have intentional often are in supportive environments like monasteries or you know longer term yogic structures but um <clears throat> i think clarifying as much the teaching after initial awakening as before is one of the keys. I agree. And I, I like, um, I like Almas's model about the essential qualities. You know, I think, I think helping people to realize that um, from that infinite spacious awareness uh, there's an intelligence and a compassion that will respond to the everyday needs and potentials of human beings and bring forth these qualities without requiring an ego manager, I think is a really important idea. Yes, that there's actually a, a structure of intelligence that has these natural qualities as those things we've been searching for outside or those things we've been trying to develop as qualities of love or to be more loving, to be more um, generous, um, they naturally arise upon recognition and realization of this dimension of <clears throat> who we are. If you're, so, will, if you're willing to hang out in that emptiness and not jump to constructing something new with your mind. That's right. Yeah, so one of the dangers is is either, so some of the dangers are to, you know, here's the way I would list them. <laughs> so the first one is uh, a lot of people are caught in just practicing preliminary practices as if the preliminary practices will lead to awakening. So if you're just doing one-pointed meditation and being mindful of the contents of your consciousness, in the middle of an everyday life it you know for 20 and 30 years without having a kind of the next stage of practice then it can that can be very frustrating and keep you in you know kind of doing a two-step one two one two another trap is that if is going into uh kind of a state of pure awareness and kind of spacing out or, you know, feeling like you've transcended and then creating a transcendent uh, 
experience and then coming back and intellectualizing it. Right. So as if you've had a had a uh, an experience and then you just talk about it philosophically endlessly, <laughs> which which is actually the 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 main danger that my teacher Toko Ergen Rinpoche said the main danger of the direct path is intellectualization, <laughs> which yeah. means that you you have a, you have a recognition and then you 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 don't let it embody. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the people that give non-dualism a bad name. Yes. Yeah, because it really is kind of a new kind of dualism rather than... Yeah. Rather, It's a kind of a transcendent versus imminent dualism. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave my kids with them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that, that's a trap, and it's, but it's often a stage that people go through. They go through... You know, people who go on longer retreats, they're, you know, they also go through, if you're just deconstructing, um, you can get overwhelmed by unconscious contents. Uh, if you're just going to spacious awareness, you can kind of not integrate and get caught in this intellectual, right. because when you come back from that, you have to, if you have to operate, if you have to live in the world and, and, and communicate, you have to create kind of a false spiritual persona um you know spirit, spiritual ego that that isn't isn't real um so finding a way to immediately embody authentically from the awake ground of being and then finding this new um heart mind <clears throat> which is the way of knowing that then can begin to um kind of rewire your your brain so that you can think and talk and walk and um and relate without having to go back to you know your your ego centered system is the training um that has um you know that I spent a good a good deal of the book kind of talking about about that how to do that and what's um what are some of the pointers and the map of doing that um you know, I think that's really key is the uh, to to talk about and to embody the uh, primacy of the heart. Yes, and the absolutely. and the incredible intelligence. Yes, of the heart. You know, so that you know, uh, you know, the heart in our culture. Part of the patriarchal dominance has been relegating the the heart to some sort of sappy sentimental outlook whereas right. to me the the heart is really the supreme intelligence yes that's right yeah. and so it's being clear on you know for instance which heart are we talking about so you know just as maybe maybe the masculine trap is kind of spacing out and transcending the feminine trap is kind of trying to go into the heart you know too directly and ending up in the emotional heart or kind of the sappy heart or the, right. um, you know, trying to love or be love or get out of the mind by being caught in, you know, <clears throat> almost too devotional or regressing back as many students of gurus do to kind of a childlike um, relationship to a teacher. Oh, they're so great. I wonder, I um, feel so good when I'm in their presence. So it's kind of going to a emotional heart. Right. So. The I'm, I'm talking about a, 
a much more radical sacred heart. Yes. So, so my sense of it is there's, there's almost like five, five hearts. So the, if you drop down from your head right near your throat or the top of your body, you find the emotional heart where most people feel like the heart gets caught in there. <clears throat> you know, they get caught in the throat or they're emotional. And then the physical heart is on the left side. Then there's a, what's called the cave of the heart on the right side where the heart is, where there's kind of a black velvet rest. But then below on the bottom is kind of the heart chakra. And the heart we're talking about is actually this uh, heart space that opens up behind your back and in front of you that touches all these other four hearts, but actually is kind of a potential to know. It's kind of an intelligence that is um, non-conceptual and a space of, uh, that feels empty, but it has this tremendous ability to, um, to access all the information in your, in your brain as needed. But it also has presence. Yes, the presence yeah. is the yeah is the quality of connecting to yeah. your your person and and to the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I I feel like I'm kind of getting an inspired idea here as we're talking, and that is to really do more in my teaching, do more explicit sharing that will encourage my students to very powerfully cultivate the sacred heart awareness and intelligence. And I think that may be a big part of the answer to the question that I've been posing is what are some of the key things we can do as teachers to kind of keep things moving? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a, I mean, the, the system I work with is trying to give a map to navigate the whole thing and it ends up, it starts by being in the everyday mind in the sense of a thinker or an ego center and then moving either up or down to a mindful witness or a sense of kind of embodied presence, but then opening up to this pure awareness as the ground and then coming back to a presence that is um, knowing from the heart mind and then really beginning to look from that heart mind being able to create and relate so that you begin to feel a way that you can function and and uh feel this quality of unconditional love that's not sappy that feels very much as if you see the that awake nature in everyone else you see their pain you see your own pain you see your own wake nature you see their wake nature and it's really a you know it's not like something that's just a quality. It literally is, is a dimension that you kind of tune into like a radio station. And when you're there, it's fully on with all the qualities. So you don't have to like go around and look at every quality and analyze every quality or. But, but, but once you tune into it, the duality collapses and it's who you are. That's right. It's, it's what you're being. Yes. Yeah. It's your, it's your ground of being and that's your presence in your being is where you're seeing from um and it's been the ground that's been here all along and most people report that there's a sense of okayness and well-being and a sense that who who i am has always been okay and then they see that you know see that in other people um 
Well, Locke, I really appreciate your your beingness and your generosity of spirit here and engaging in this open-ended conversation with me and having a part two today. And I I feel kind of a sweet kind of a sweet piece of feeling like the conversation is winding down to a to a very peaceful but powerful natural conclusion for now. And I just want to turn it over to you to share anything that's moving in you to share in closing uh, for today. Yeah. So I could say that, you know, just a little, <laughs> a little parting uh, pointer would be just to see for those who are listening, just to take a little breath and breathe out and just be here fully with your own presence and, uh, and then to unhook your awareness from thought and have it drop down so the awareness knows your jaw from within, knows your throat from within, knows your body directly from within. And so your awareness can rest in this heart space within you without looking up to thought, without going down to sleep. And just feel this new centerless center that you are seeing from and being from that has shifted and includes every dimension of who you are from a new view, a new palpable, open-hearted awareness that's embodied and allow yourself to, um, to learn how to recognize and realize and stabilize and express from here um, because there is a way and uh, there are people that can help you to to find this way and it's simpler than you think and if you're interested and willing to make it a priority like any other thing you want to learn you can be free of tremendous amount of suffering and you know access a potential that is inherent within us all. Thanks, Locke. So I just want to let the listeners know again that Locke Kelly, it's spelled L-O-C-H Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. And uh, is your website LockKelly.com? Uh, .org. .org. L-O-C-H-K-E-L-L-Y.org. The name of the book is called Shift into Freedom the science and practice of open-hearted awareness. And then the audio is not the reading of the book. The audio is uh, Locke guiding you through these glimpses of awake awareness. And you'll find one that, that matches your personal psychology and learning style. And uh, I'm so glad our paths have crossed, Locke. If you're ever uh, coming out my way to Northern California, please let me know and we can break bread together and I'll let you know if I'm coming to the East Coast and uh, the door's always open here if there's anything I can do to be of service to you. Thank you so much, David. I feel the same way. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you sometime soon. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to part two of my conversation with Locke Kelly, spiritual guide and teacher and author of Shift Into Freedom. And uh, we'll have his contact information also in the show notes, which you can access at www.cuttingedgedoc.com.
doc.com. That's cuttingedgedoc.com. This podcast series is called Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and transformation. And so until next time, this is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.